Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much, Pastor Nick. I am extremely grateful and excited to be over on this side of our campus here with you today. And thank you so much, Pastors Nick and Becky, for asking me to speak and giving me the opportunity. I'm just so grateful for the community that is Go Church. And I hope that you've all had an incredible Thanksgiving week. I hope that you have just plenty to be thankful for and you're able to spend time this week with some friends and some family. I know me today, I am personally very grateful for my amazing team of Go Kids leaders who is over on our other side of campus making sure everything runs smoothly today. They're enjoying some donuts with our kiddos and the fantastic Rachel Newell is actually running the whole show over there. So can we just give them a hand? So when hopefully they get to watch this message back, they know that they got some love over on this side of campus today. Well, I wanted to share with you just a little bit about my family, and since we're getting into the holiday spirit, I wanted to show you, this is a Christmas picture of my family this year. This is our our mini tree for our apartment. Uh, This is my husband, Corbin, our cats, Munson and Moto, and I just want to say that we are past Thanksgiving now, and so I'm allowed to have Christmas decorations in my house, and so no one in this room should be offended by my Christmas tree, but I will say... Over the last month or so, I've seen some some heated comments on the social medias. People had some strong opinions about people decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving. And maybe you're one of those people. Maybe like me, you just saw it going around. But if you found yourself getting a little offended at other people's Christmas decorations, or maybe the Thanksgiving season was a little bit tough for you and you found yourself offended at the dinner table, I've got a book for you. As we've been going through this series, no offense, we have been giving away a copy of this book, Unoffendable, every week. And I have this copy right here for one of you in this room today. So who wants it? Who wants to prep up for the holiday season? All right, come get it. It's yours. Awesome. Well, so um, a fun fact about me and my husband We recently celebrated our five-year dating anniversary. (laughs) Does anyone keep up with the important dates of like dating and engagement after you're married? Anyone else in the room? Okay, ish, yeah. So we don't really do anything to celebrate our dating anniversary, but I do think it's fun that if the day comes along and I notice the date, it is kind of fun to look back and reflect back about where we started. So this was us after we had been dating for about a month, And uh, after we've been dating for a year or so, we got engaged uh, in December. And then three months after we got engaged, we got married. We got married in March, and it was amazing. It was a great time. And we were only engaged for three months, and so we didn't have a ton of time to plan a wedding. And so I just kind of wanted to elope with our, you know, immediate family, our closest friends. And Corbin, he is the life of the party. He is my extrovert best friend, and he really wanted to have a big, big wedding, right? So we compromised, as, you know, all great uh, spouses do, right? We compromised, and we settled in the middle with a small wedding. And so as I was planning this wedding, you know, didn't have a lot of time, but I wanted to be as detailed as I could. I knew how excited Corbin was for this party. All of our friends and family were going to be there, which is kind of a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, right? Have all the people you love in the room with you at the same time to celebrate. 
So I was planning these things, and as I was looking forward to our wedding day, something that I was really anticipating and looking forward to and expecting was Corbin crying when he saw me. When he saw me at our first look or when he saw me walking down the aisle, I just was really excited for this moment and I just knew it was gonna happen because something about Corbin, he's a crier. And, and some of you may know this, some of you may not, but whether it's a Disney Pixar short film about a dumpling <laughs> or whether it's a TikTok of an adorable baby otter or maybe it's Tennessee losing last weekend to South Carolina, Corbin's gonna cry, Corbin's gonna cry. And so knowing that my, at the time, fiance was definitely in touch with his tear ducts, I was anticipating this moment, I was expecting it, I knew it was gonna happen, I was looking forward to it. And so our wedding day comes, it's beautiful, all of our friends and family really came together to just make this a wonderful, exciting, and, and beautiful day. And you can see one of our wedding pictures here, you can see how happy we are, you can see how excited we are, but one thing that didn't happen on that day <laughs> was that Corbin did not cry. Corbin did not cry when he saw me at our first look, didn't saw me when, didn't cry when he saw me coming down the aisle, didn't cry at any point on our wedding day. And let me tell you, I was offended. <laughs> I, I was a little salty, you know, because I had this expectation and he didn't meet it. Now, did he do anything intentionally wrong? Was he trying to hurt my feelings? No, absolutely not. You can see clearly in this picture, he was excited to marry me, he's happy to marry me, but it just didn't happen on that day. And maybe it had something to do with the fact that the day before he was so sick that he couldn't even make it to our rehearsal and so he was barely making it through the day. That might have had something to do with it, but I was not thinking about that, I was just offended, right? Because this expectation was not met. And instead of just letting that hurt, letting that little bit of anger just kind of roll off my back and recognize this loving man who chose to marry me, I wanted to hold on to that anger and hurt a little bit. And I kind of planted those seeds in my heart, and even though this was not a big thing, this was not a big deal, I let those seeds of anger and hurt grow in my heart, and I let it turn into something called bitterness. And bitterness is basically when we're just kind of held captive by resentment. When, when we're upset or offended, or maybe someone's really actually done something to intentionally hurt us. When we let those seeds of hurt and anger grow into something more, that results in bitterness. And I think a lot of times we feel like we can justify our bitterness for two reasons. I think that, you know, we feel like we were really hurt right? We were really hurt. We were really offended. There was really an expectation that was not met. And so we feel justified in letting that bitterness grow. And also, we think that our bitterness is our own because we were the ones who were hurt. We were the ones who felt angry. And so it should be our bitterness, right? It's personal to us. Well, I want us to see what scripture has to say about this. Paul is talking in Hebrews, and leading up to this, Paul has been talking about discipline and how discipline is always tough, but it's always important, it's always necessary. And in Hebrews 12, verse 12, he says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And today he would be saying, strap on your chacos, turn your cocks into sports mode, it's gonna be tough, buckle up. 
All right, so Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You can write our one big thing for today down on your communication card. It's this. What you plant will grow. What you plant will grow. And what you allow to take root in your life will manifest not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you and even those who come after you. And so that's either the good or the bad, right? Either that peace and holiness that this verse talks about or it's going to be the bitterness. And sometimes the seeds of bitterness are small. Maybe like me, your husband didn't cry at your wedding. Or maybe, you know, your husband was watching a football game at your anniversary dinner on his phone. Now it can be small. Or the seeds of bitterness can be bigger. They can be life-paralyzing things. Maybe it was the abuse of a family member. Maybe it was the deception from your spouse. Maybe it was even a coffee text. Has anyone gotten one of these? It says, can you meet for coffee? And then it turns into a backstabbing betrayal that costs you hundreds in therapy. Whether big or small, these seeds that plant the roots of bitterness will grow deep and they will go strong and they will affect the people around us. Like whenever I maybe sometimes see Corbin crying at something trivial and I choose to say, you're crying at this, but you didn't cry on our wedding day? That's just mean of me, right? That's just extremely bitter of me, right? Who is that helping in that moment? Absolutely no one. All it does is make Corbin feel bad makes me feel angry and hurt all over again. And if there happens to be anyone else in the room, they feel awkward, and they're probably making a few judgment calls about who I am as a person, right, that I would bring something like this back up, like three and a half years later, right? You know, it only takes one bitter person to destroy something. You know, one bitter person can ruin a marriage. One bitter person can divide a family. Uh, one bitter person could spoil a holiday dinner. Hopefully that's not too soon for anyone in this room. I feel like I can confidently say that every single one of us in this room has been affected by the bitterness of someone else. And I also feel like I can confidently say that no one in this room wants to be known for their bitterness, right? But church, what you plant will grow. And if you're planting seeds of anger and hurt, bitterness will grow and it will reveal itself in the lives of your friends, your family, your coworkers, your baristas, your cashiers, anyone around you. I want to show you a picture of my childhood home. This is where I grew up. And this is a modern day picture, so it looks a little different than when I lived there. But I lived in this house from birth until about eighth grade. And something about this picture that's different than when I lived there is when I lived there, right up against this brick chimney, there was a massive magnolia tree. Now, if you're looking at this tree and this house, you might be wondering, how could that tree be right up against that house? That's a great question. 
So one of the things I remember from childhood was this ongoing dialogue between my parents about this magnolia tree and how the people who had built this house and the man who had planted this tree clearly was not thinking because magnolia trees can grow up to 80 feet tall and the width of their root span can be 40 feet wide and so you're supposed to plant them at least 50 feet from any building. And this man planted a magnolia tree about four feet away from our brick chimney. And when he planted that, clearly he was not thinking about how that tree, about how those roots were gonna be affecting anyone. He just wanted a magnolia tree to be there. But that magnolia tree continued to grow and those roots continued to spread. And by the time I was living there, they were really messing with the rest of our landscaping. And they were spreading over to our driveway. And you can see in this picture even now how there's all these cracks in our driveway that were caused by these roots from this magnolia tree. And around the time my family was getting ready to move away, the roots of this magnolia tree were starting to mess with our actual house. What you plant will grow, and it will affect those around you and those who come after you. This tree was planted by a man who I never met. I was someone in a generation who came after him, and my family didn't take down this tree, but another family who came after us, maybe, maybe one family, maybe two families, maybe three families, someone finally took down these trees and dug up these roots, all because this one man planted them. He wasn't thinking about the damage it was going to do to those around him and the people who came after him. What you plant will grow, the good, the bad, and the bitter. And so today we're going to talk about how to dig out a root of bitterness. How to dig out a root of bitterness. And I'm going to give you three tools. Everyone say three tools. Three tools, three tools to dig out a root of bitterness. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. These tools are going to be a little bit tough to hear. They're tough to write, but I believe you can handle it, and I believe you're ready. If you're ready for tool number one, say ready. ready. All right, tool number one, expose the objects of your bitterness. Expose the objects of your bitterness. Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Have we actually gone to the place of calling out why we are chronically paralyzed by this wound? Maybe we're so used to seeing the fruit, the symptoms of these roots, that we've kind of forgotten why and where these roots were even planted. Maybe at the root of your bitterness is bitterness towards your spouse because you spent your whole day caring for your children, playing with them, feeding with them, cleaning, cleaning up after them, and then your spouse walks in the door and they're the most excited and happy they've been all day to see your spouse. <laughs> Maybe there's a little root of bitterness that's taken hold there. Maybe for you, your bitterness, the root of your bitterness, is at God. Because you were so sure that you would be married by now, because you were so sure that you would have a child by now. Maybe the root of your bitterness is at the church because story after story continues to break about yet another pastor who's betrayed his marriage, hurt his congregation, hurt his family, and all of us who claim Christ by association. Maybe that's where the root of your bitterness lies. Church, these things hurt and these things can make us angry. 
And God sees that, and God knows that, and he hurts when we hurt because he loves us. But because he loves us, he does not want us to continuously live from this place of hurt and anger. Because it completely robs us of the life that he wants us to have. And not only does it rob us of the life he wants us to have, it robs our families. It robs our friends. It robs the people we serve and the people around us who we don't even know are watching, but they are. We have to lay the roots of our bitterness bare. We've got to expose the object of our bitterness because, church, you can't heal from what you are unwilling to admit. Expose the objects of your bitterness. All right, that's tool number one. These next two tough, next two tools are gonna be tough to hear too. But if you're ready for tool number two, say, I can handle it. All right, I believe you can. Tool number two, cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. I want to read you this passage of scripture from Matthew 18. Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Just so you have a frame of reference, today, 10,000 talents versus 100 denarii is the equivalent of a few million dollars to a few dollars. No one can listen to this story and say that a few dollars isn't still a debt. If you owe someone a few dollars, you owe someone a few dollars. There was a debt between these two servants. We can all see that, it's obvious. But in the context of this story, it's obvious to every single one of us that that few, debt, few dollar debt should have been forgiven like the massive debt was forgiven. The master showed such kindness and such grace and such mercy to the servant, it's obvious to every single one of us that that same kindness should have been shown to the other servant. It's obvious in this story. But when it's our story, when it's our lives, we want that debt repaid. 
And if that person can't repay their debt, we want them to suffer. We want them to be held captive by their debt. But this story teaches us that if we live our lives this way, it is us who will be held captive because we refused to cancel the debt. Church, you and I have accrued a debt that we can never, ever repay. Every outburst of pride, every lie we've told, every unkind thought that we've directed at someone, every time we have fallen short, we have accrued more and more and more onto our debt that we can never, ever repay. But God forgave our debt. He offers forgiveness to every single one of us. He sent his son to pay the ultimate sacrifice, to pay our debt that we owed. But in turn, he commands us to forgive others. Pastor Nick taught us two weeks ago that we forgive because we have been forgiven. And God does not want us to be held captive. He wants us to be free. He wants us to dig out those roots that are imprisoning us in our own bitterness. So we've exposed the objects of our bitterness. Now we must cancel the debt that they owe us. Everyone take a deep breath. That's tool number two. This last tool going to be the most difficult to use. But if you're ready for tool number three, say let's go. go. Alright. Tool number three. Pray for your offender. Pray for your offender. See, I told you this was going to be the most difficult one. I wasn't lying. And I don't mean pray that your offender's car will break down on the way to an important interview. <laughs> I mean actually pray for them. One of the reasons I find it personally difficult to pray for those who have offended me is because I don't think that they deserve it. I think that I'm allowed to have righteous anger because they have hurt me. I mean, even Jesus turned tables in the temple. Righteous anger is a thing, right? But let me caution you. Jesus only turned tables once. Every single other day of his three-year public ministry, he was an instrument of peace. He was a healer to the sick. He was a friend to the foreigner and a forgiver to the sinner. Luke 6, verses 27 and 28 say, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. There's a lot of things in that verse that we're supposed to do. But the reason I chose tool number three to be pray for your offender is because prayer is something tangible that we can all do. It's an action that we can all take, and we can do it from a distance. This verse doesn't say drive to your offender's house, knock on their door, take their hands in yours, and pray over them. Right? It just says pray. You can pray where you, at, where you are at. You can pray for however long you can, and you can be honest with God in your prayer. You need to pray for your offender. And church, I believe that with these tools and the grace of God, you can dig out the roots of bitterness in your life. But just like any tools, me just giving them to you today 
isn't going to do you any good. If you store them in your metaphorical garage or shed, and you see them and you walk by them, they're not going to do you any good. You could look at a shovel all day long and say, man, I bet that shovel would be good for some digging. Or, you know, I hope that one day I'll work with that shovel and we can dig something. Or, I just wish that that shovel would do the digging for me. But it's not going to. Church, our one big action today is pick up your tools. Pick up your tools. Everyone say, pick up your tools. Don't be like the man who planted the magnolia tree in my front yard, right? Don't be the person who plants roots of bitterness that grow to affect generations of your family. Don't be the person who plants roots of bitterness and lets them grow in your workplace. You do the work. You pick up the tools. It ends with you. Pick up your tools. And I believe that after you dig up these roots of bitterness, you have an opportunity to plant new seeds, to grow new roots, right? You can plant the seeds of love, of joy, of faith, humility, gratitude. And when you pick up your tools and when you put in the work to expose the object of your bitterness, to cancel that debt and to pray for your offender. You're not only freeing yourself, church, but you have the opportunity to alter your legacy in your family, your reputation in your workplace, and your healing and your vulnerability within your friendships. And you have the opportunity to do this for people who are gonna come after you and people who are all around you. What you plant will grow. This is hard work, guys. And I truly hope and pray that you can put in the work to pick up your tools and to use them and to dig out these roots of bitterness in your own life. And when you do, I just want to share with you a glimpse of what your life could look like. Colossians 2, 6 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And then Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 16, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may not have the power to understand, and, you, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. In my own life, I've seen the power of using these three tools to dig up the roots of bitterness. After my husband and I got married, three months later, we actually moved to Colorado to plant something, to plant a church. And we moved here, and we were part of this church, and if you're here last week and you heard Thomas talk about a church plant, this is the same one. 
So we moved here with our friends. We were planning this church in Thornton. We were so excited. We were so passionate about it. We felt called to be here. We knew this is what we were supposed to be doing with our lives. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, that church plant didn't make it. Our church closed and our pastors moved back home to Georgia. And we were left here at what we didn't know was gonna be the beginning of a pretty long pandemic. And when our church closed and when COVID hit, I was pretty angry and I was pretty hurt. And I didn't like how a lot of the things were handled and I was offended by some of the things that were said. And I'm not gonna lie to you, church, those seeds of anger and hurt took root in my heart and I grew bitter. And I wanted to use church hurt and COVID as an excuse not to find another church. But praise God, because I had also planted my roots in Christ. And I was also surrounded by other people who had planted their roots in Christ. I was able to dig out those roots. I was able to pick up my tools, was able to put in the work to expose the object of my bitterness. And I canceled the debt that I felt like I was owed, and I began to pray for my offender, both for the people who I felt like hurt me in this process, but also for myself, that my heart would grow soft again towards God. And so we had church at home in our friends Hannah and Thomas' house, and we went out to churches as soon as they opened back up, and we tried to find another church home. And it was tough. And we went to a lot of places where we felt like this isn't the place for us. This isn't the place we're supposed to serve. This isn't the community that we're looking for. But eventually, about a year and a half ago, we walked in the doors of Go Church. And Go Church, I'm telling you this today, and this is what I've told Nick and Becky too, Go Church gave me hope again. And so we got invested here really quick. We grew down our roots here pretty quickly. And guys, I just have to tell you that I love Go Church and I love this community and I love my small group and I love getting to serve your kids on Sunday mornings and I love getting to serve your students on Wednesday nights. And if I had not been willing to pick up my tools and put in the work to dig up these roots of bitterness, I would have missed out on so much, so much of what God wanted me to experience in my life. I would have missed out on so many of the people, so many of the experiences, so many of the opportunities. But church, you've got to pick up your tools. You've got to put in the work. I believe you can. And God's going to be there with you every step of the way. And if you're here and you're, and, and you're hearing me and you're saying, I hear you and you've given me these tools, but I don't know that I want to dig up these roots of bitterness because they're a part of who I am and they're a part of how I protect myself. And they're a part of how I remind myself of the reality of who people are and how they can hurt me. And I don't know that I want to let that go. I hear you. I hear you, it's hard. And scripture tells us that where a root of bitterness grows, it will cause trouble and it will defile many and it's causing trouble in your life, friends. Whether or not you can see it, it is. But God will be with you every step of the way of putting in this hard work. He will support you. And when you trust in Christ, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
maybe you're feeling like you can't do this intense work of digging up these roots of bitterness in your life because it requires massive amounts of forgiveness and you have yet to experience the forgiveness of God in your life because you haven't made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. That can change today. Pick up your tools. Let's pray together, church. Dear God, I thank you so much for the people who are here today in this room. God, I know that every single person who you wanted to be here today is here. God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen our weak arms, that you would keep our head uplifted as we pick up our tools and put in the work to dig out these roots of bitterness in our lives. God, I thank you for the work that you're already doing in the lives and the hearts of the people in this room. God, I thank you for the love and the joy and the faith that is gonna grow in generations after the people in this room, for the people outside of this room who are going to be affected by this work, God. I thank you so much. And if you're in this room today and you have yet to experience the forgiveness of God in your own life, know that you can pray this prayer with me right here and right now. Say, God, I know that I have sinned and I have fallen short and I'm sorry. And I know that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to be buried, and to rise again. I know that he is alive today, and he is in heaven, and he's preparing a way for us, Lord, and I thank you for that. And from this day forward, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to follow your will for my life. I want to put in the work, Lord. God, I thank you so much. God, I just thank you that today the gift of eternal life and the gift of your Holy Spirit is being given in this room. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.